And let's take our Bibles and turn to Nehemiah chapter 8 tonight here. Let's get right to it this evening. I'm sure glad that you're here. We have to stand for the reading of the Word of God tonight. You'll understand why we have to stand tonight after you see our text as we get into the message tonight here. And uh, uh, we want to read Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 13 through 18. Allow me to read the three even or odd-numbered verses. Would you read with me, please? Verses 14, 16, and 18. They're long verses. Would you stand, please, in respect to the reading of the Word of God? And we'll read when our turn is. uh, Every other verse we'll read, all right? Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 13 through 18, and reading responsively. And on the second day were gathered together the chief of the fathers of all the people, the priest, and the Levites, and Ezra, the scribe, even to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded by Moses that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month, and that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go forth unto the mount and fetch olive branches and pine branches and myrtle branches and palm branches, and branches of thick trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booths, every one upon the roof of his house and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the street of the water gate and in the street of the gate of Ephraim. And all the congregation of them that were come again out of the captivity made booths and set under the booths For since the days of Jeshua, that's Joshua, the son of Nun, unto that day had not the children of Israel done so, and there was a very, very great gladness. Also, day by day, from the first day until the last day, he read in the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day was a solemn assembly according unto the manner. May God has blessed us the reading of his word. Let's sing the doxology. Most of you know it. I think everyone knows it. If you don't know it, you're going to learn it, all right? Let's sing uh, Praise God from Whom All Blessings Flow, all right? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Rebecca. Nehemiah chapter 8 tonight. Let me hurry along in the introduction. This book is written, of course, it's one of the post-captivity books. It was written 140-some years after the, the walls of Jerusalem came down by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. Uh, in 445 B.C. is the accepted date by most scholars of when the walls were built again in Jerusalem. And uh, Nehemiah comes back from the land of captivity himself, of course, and leads in the building of the wall. And I got such a blessing as I was reading this famous chapter. We have so much case precedent of why we do how, what we do in the house of God. And, and it gives a format and a pattern. And it's a formula for revival as well. And uh, I, want to notice, I want you to notice that the Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 13, uh, excuse me, that they, they found the book of the law. They, they, it says, 
and to, as for the scribe, even to understand the words of the law. And then they made booths, or excuse me, it says in verse 14, and they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded by Moses that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast in the seventh month. They just discovered this in the law that had been written some 1,100 years earlier. Hundreds of years have gone by. 142 years have gone by. And Israel just found something out that they evidently didn't know and that many people had forgotten and most people probably had never even heard one time. And so I want you to begin this, this, this morning here, or this, this evening, excuse me. Uh, our title message is Starting the, the Feast of Tabernacles in Your Life. I'm going to just, in the way of introduction, get this down, that the inhabitants of Jerusalem and Israel discovered and instituted for the first time in their lives, for the first time in their lives, they instituted, they found out about the Feast of Booths, and they conducted the Feast of Booths. Now, tonight's not the case, but, you know, there was a first time that you, in your life, that you came, you never came to a Wednesday night midweek prayer service in your life. And then there was that first time, you know, somebody said there's a first time for everything. There's a first time when you came to prayer meeting. There's a first time when you came to maybe a Sunday night service. There's a first time that you came to a Sunday school. There's the first time you came to church. Everybody has the first time. That first time where you, you, you did something different all your life, and then at one point in time, you changed gears and you, you did something that you never did before, and... You know, sometimes, uh, many of you got the calling post message this morning. You know, we get into a rut. And uh, I was talking to you, not your neighbor, remember? <laughs> you got the calling post this morning. Uh, we get into a rut. Now, let's just be honest. Let's just be blunt. I'm sure glad you're here. And I'm not picking on anybody that's not here tonight. There's some people that can't come, of course. And some people that are working and have a legitimate excuses why they can't come out on Wednesday nights. I get it. But let's just be kind of honest how many people tonight are at home because maybe they worked or maybe they didn't work, but they have a favorite program they watch on TV on Wednesday nights? They've been doing that for years. They, they're on their internet. They're on their, they're on their phone. They're, on, they're doing something tonight, and they're, maybe they're drinking tonight. Huh? Maybe they're just being lazy tonight. They're, and they've been doing this for years and years and years, and chances are they may go through their whole life one thing they may never discover is they may never discover the, the blessing of coming to the midweek recharger service, the prayer service. They may never come. They, they have something better to do. Well, I'm going to give you real quickly here, and I, have to, I can't preach, I have to teach here. We've got a lot of material, so we're going to go fast here tonight. What was it? What, is, what, is, what was the Feast of Tabernacles? So fill in the blanks quickly as we go in this first uh, introduction. The Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. Booths, of course. Or the Feast of Ingathering. There's the third word that you find. And it was instituted in Leviticus 23, verses 33 to 36. For sake of time, we won't read the verses. But it was commanded of the Lord. It was one of the three great pilgrim feasts. It was a great feast of the Jewish calendar uh, uh, yearly. It, it falls in the month of what we know of as month, or was the Hebrew month of Tishra. But it's our, it always corresponds with late September and early October on our calendar. And it was required that every Jewish male attend these three yearly feasts in Jerusalem. And it lasted, this feast lasted for eight days, beginning and ending on a Sabbath day. 
It began on a Saturday, began on the Sabbath day, it ended on the Sabbath day. We read about this Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths or Feast of Ingatherings or even Feast unto the Lord for the record. Well, the Hebrew word is uh, Sukkot, S-U-K-K-O-T for the record. The Feast of Sukkot. And uh, we read about it several times in the Old Testament. We read about it in the New Testament. We see where Solomon dedicated the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8. And he speaks about they kept the, this, this feast at that time and there was a great time of revival. In fact, this feast is always in correlation with revival. Jesus, we believe he came to the feast. In fact, well, we don't believe we know that he came to the feast in John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38, where he said, If any man thirsts, I'm taking the water of life that I give freely. And so we have several case studies where, starting with Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and then in the Kings and Chronicles where this, this feast is outlined. Well, what, was, what led up to this feast that they, did not commit, that they did not have for at least 142 years? That's a long time. In that time, obviously, a whole lot of new people are born. In fact, maybe everybody that's alive is, assuming there's nobody over 142 years old, which we don't believe at this time there was, and they, they, uh, they conducted this feast for the first time in their life. Well, what led up to this feast? Well, go back to chapter 8, and we, again, for the last time I'll, say, I'll try to say I'm going to hurry. But I'm going to give you 10 things leading up to this feast. Look at verse number 1 real quickly of Nehemiah chapter 8. And, uh, or, excuse me, chapter 6 and verse number 15. Uh, First of all, what led up to this feast that they had was the rebuilding of the walls. I've already alluded to that. They built the walls in chapter 6, verse 15. The Bible says it took them uh, 52 days. They did in 52 days what they couldn't do in 142 years. How's that? Now, we could go into that. We won't have to take time. But they, they built, they, 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 they pulled off a miracle, humanly speaking, and did in 52 days what they couldn't do in 142 years. So they built the wall. Then something else they did. Now we get to chapter 8. And I want you to notice in the Bible says, And all the people gathered themselves together, notice, as one man into the street that was before the water gate. I want you to notice, secondly, that what led up to this feast of tabernacles was that the people, be, the, the people being unified. They were unified in spirit and body as well. But that leads me to my second point, verse number two. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. They, they, they brought all the people together, the men and the women, and all that could hear with understanding. And so the people, were com- the people came together. Uh, by the way, backing up to number two, just quickly. People were unified. Behold, how pleasant, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. There has never been a revival, a worldwide or a local revival, where there hasn't been unity with God's people. We've got to put away our differences. We've got to put away our things that uh, distract us and our little picky uni things and say, for the cause of Christ, we're going to love one another and we're going to serve God and we're going to just do right. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, Ephesians 4.3 says... And the people came together. Hebrews 10, 25, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Now, by the way, I just have to throw this in fast. 
I think this message was birthed uh, about three weeks ago, or started to be birthed as I was driving through on a Saturday, which I've done quite often over the years now. I was coming back from St. Francis Hospital. I mentioned it, I think, Sunday. And you know what happens when you come on uh, Route 44 about 12.30, 1 o'clock after visiting at the hospital. You go through West Hartford and you see all these finely dressed people. You know who I'm talking about, don't you, already? All in black. The men are all in black, the suits and ties and the, and the little caps and the, and the ladies are all in their beautiful dresses and so forth. And they're all coming from the synagogue. They're all walking to their houses. Man, I just, you know, I peruse these things. They're all walking to their half million dollar or plus or more houses than that. They are blessed. They, these people, I've mentioned many times, they work six days a week and they work hard. And then come Friday night, everything shuts down. Come Friday night, it's time to, it's Saturday, it's time to worship God. And they live a whole lot better. Now, I know we could go on and say, well, yeah, but they live for mammon. They live for money. They live for, well, you can make your critiques all you want, whatever you want to say. But materially, they are blessed. And they are very religious to this day of keeping these feasts. When I go down to New York City to my brother-in-law's church in Queens, I've been down there in late September, and I've seen the little booths, the little, they almost look like, pardon the language, dog houses in front yards. And uh, I guess you go to West Hartford or anywhere and see, see at this time. And some of them get away with it, and I understand that some of them actually still go out there just like a kid goes out to a two-man pup tent, and they sleep in their booth at night for that week, for the eight days. And so, but they, they, they came together... Number four, uh, fourthly, this, what, what led up to this event, verse number three, it says this, and he read, that says, we read therefore, or therein before the street that was before the water gate from morning until midday. Did I tell you I was going to midnight tonight in the preaching? Did I tell you that? You're here for midnight, right? <laughs> yeah, right, right, okay. Uh, no, uh, from the morning till midday, before the men and the women and those that could understand now, I know it's late September, but this is Jerusalem. I was in Jerusalem in February. It was hot then. It was like, uh, it was like Bermuda weather. What do you think it was? Uh, you think it was hot in September? I guarantee it was hot in September. And they stood all day long, probably in the sun. They heard the word of God. Well, I want you to notice uh, they, they were serious about reading the reading of God's word. They were very serious about it. Jeremiah 15, 16, Jeremiah said, said that words were found and I did eat them. And they were as a joy and rejoicing of my heart. And the word of God is a joy to the child of God that's, that uh, partakes of it, the manna, of the manna from heaven. Then verse number four, you ever wonder why we have a, uh, uh, by the way, that was just on purpose, a wood pulpit. Well, look what it says. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood. That, that, that does away with these fiberglass pulpits. I'm just teasing, but maybe, maybe I'm not teasing. And he made it, they made it for the purpose. By the way, and I'm, I'm not really being funny, I'm being serious. There's a reason why churches down through the centuries have had pulpits. We take it from right here. Now it's not, it's just a, it's an application. Uh, I, I stood in, the, in Capernaum in the ruins of Capernaum, and then I stood in several other ruined cities of our, uh, ancient archaeological uh, findings of, the, of the towns and in their synagogue. 
They're all about the same size. They're all set up the same way. And of course, the pulpits were long gone, but they, they set up and, and, and uh, the, everything was very f- familiar, very similar. And they set up a pulpit there because that's where the man of God would stand and read the word of God or the Torah or what have you. And so that's why we do what we do. One of the reasons why we have a pulpit. Verse number five, notice they stood in respect to the reading of the word of God. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And uh, we don't have, we're living in a day of grace, age of grace. And so sometimes on Sunday night, Wednesday nights, and we can sit down on Sunday mornings. We're under grace, right? You ever read your Bible in your bed? How many do that? I hope everybody's hand goes up. <laughs> hope you read your Bible laying down. I read my Bible laying down a lot. <laughs> and uh, sitting down, nothing wrong with that. But in respect to the reading of the Word of God, I don't have time to get off on this, but you know, it's uh, it, you know, we mentioned about the you know the play, the 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 flag, pledging to the flag, and national anthem, and all that, and and uh, why do we do that? To show respect. Why do we stand for the reading of the Word of God? Do we have to stand? No, but it shows respect. That's just simple, simple as that. And so they stood for the reading of the Word of God. Number seven, verse number six. Notice what it says. It says, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen. Do you think they said Amen? Amen? Or no, I think they said Amen, Amen. And I think they said it probably longer than that. We're lifting up their hands. Man, they must not have been Baptist. I'm, I hate to admit it, but anyhow. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And so we see this praise. They, 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 they were serious about offering praise. Then in verse number 8, and it's 8 on our worksheet, God's word was not only read, but it was explained. Verse 8, so they read, the word of, they read in the book, in the law of God distinctly, and gave the sense, and caused them to understand the reading. And so they explained, they expounded upon the word of God. They read it, and then they perused it, and then they explained it. Verse 9, notice what happens. And Nehemiah, which is the, which is the Tershatha, and Ezra, the priest and the scribe, the Levites had taught the people, said unto all the people, this day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Notice there was great conviction over their sins. Right, let me just take a quick time out. I know I'm preaching to a very friendly crowd tonight. I know you all love the Lord. I really know that. Uh, it's interesting what you see when you're preaching. Now, I, I've learned to tr- block a lot of things out when I'm preaching because I can't concentrate on, pardon me, you and also what I'm going to say in the message at the same time. It's hard for me to do that. But if I, there's another reason why I, I can't concentrate on you because whenever I'm preaching it doesn't matter in what venue I mean I, I put the best of people to sleep I'm telling you I just do I know I do and uh, I, I always say I'm at least half the problem so I never get mad at you if you sleep because I figure I'm at least half the problem and uh, maybe you need to sleep I don't know and then you got people that look mad at you and then you got people that you preach through the whole message you get done with it and uh, there's not a, there's like oh boy I'm glad he's finally done and then you got people, and you're at the end of your message, and sometimes I'll even drop a bomb, which I do regularly on a regular occasions from time to time, for sure. And there's somebody crying. There's tears coming down. 
or somebody's emotional, somebody comes to the altar because the word of God spoke to their heart. How, how, do, how does that happen? Was it me? I don't think so. I think it was the Spirit of God. And so they, they read, the Word of God was read. And there's weeping and crying. There was conviction of sin. Then number 10, for time's sake here. Uh, they were rebuked, not rebuked, but they were encouraged. Uh, look at verse number 10. He said, go, one of my favorite verses of all scripture, go your way, eat the fat, amen! I love fat, you can tell, you know that. <laughs> oh, come on, lighten up. <laughs> and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them that which have nothing prepared. Have a feast. For this day is holy unto our Lord, neither be ye sorry, for the, Lord, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And later on, verse number 11, it says, This day is holy, neither be ye grieved. Hey, cheer up. I want you to be happy. Amen. Nehemiah, Ezra read the word of God and, and uh, what led up to this feast of booths, well, they were encouraged to rejoice. Uh, you know, I, I, I just, just popped in my head. I just, uh, I'll be elusive on purpose, but I'm not naive as you think I am in regards to certain things. I know some of you had a long day today. Don't raise your hand, but how many had a long day today? Don't raise your hand. I don't want to know about it. You had a tough day at work. Some of you have been up since, I don't know, 3, 4, 5 o'clock in the morning. Rush, 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 rush. Hartford traffic, whatever the case is, work hard. You come home, you throw together a meal real fast, and you did, then you take a shower, and you, you want to exhaust, and you, you know, lay down in bed. It's like, i got to go to church. Preacher gave me a personal message tonight and said, come to church. And you rush here, and it's like, it's all you can do to stay awake. Well, I say all that to say, and I have to be careful how I phrase this here, and some of you won't understand what I mean by this. I don't even like coming to church and getting beat up by preachers. We got beat up today all day long. It's called work. It's called, you know, the rat race, everyday living. And sometimes I've been guilty, I've been, and sometimes on purpose. But I don't want to come to the house of God and get beat up. And all God's people said, it's okay. You say, well, you're a compromiser. You, you, you know, some people, some people love to get their toes stepped on from preaching, you know. But sometimes don't you like to come to hear the word of God and be encouraged? I mean, when I go to a meal, I don't want to just have to stuff down some food that I don't like and just to, just to fill my belly. I want to enjoy it. Ezra said, hey, I want you to enjoy this. This is wonderful. And the lead, and I'm starting to preach too much here. We've got much more to go here. Uh, what did it involve? Well, notice what this day involved, starting verse 13. And the second day, we're gathered together the chief of the father's and all the people and the priests and the Levites unto Ezra the scribe, even to understand the words of the law. It involved, well, all the people came together, first of all. We already talked about the, unified, or the unifying of the people and the, how they were together in one place. But it involved, first of all, a sincere desire to know and to do God's will. They not only wanted to hear the word of God, they actually wanted to know what it meant to understand the words of the law. 
Ann, if I could pick on Ann for tonight, uh, just for a moment here. Ann called me today, and she called me Sunday night, and, and we talked for a few minutes. And uh, Ann uh, was, uh, she's doing her own personal Bible study, and she had some questions for me. And uh, she wanted to make sure she was studying right in her, in her and uh, as far as I could tell, she was doing a great job studying, and she didn't need me. And, uh, but she wanted to not only hear the Word of God, he, she wants to know it, she wants to incorporate it in her life. And these people, they didn't just want to hear it. They wanted to actually learn it and then do it. Be doers of the word, not hearers, so only deceiving your own selves. And then they committed, number two, what did it involve? A commitment to obey the details. Uh, they found in verse number 14, they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded by Moses that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast in the seventh month. Okay, we've got to make booths. We've got to make dog houses. Pardon me. We're going to make uh, you know, human houses for in our, on our roofs, rooftops or wherever we're at. We've got, to make, we've got to make our pup tent dwellings places. We've got to go, go out into the woods. And there's not many woods that I saw when you're in Jerusalem. It's, uh, of course, it's built up now, I'm sure. But, but it's hard. I imagine they had to go outside and gather all these branches to make these makeshift homes to live in, these houses to live in for or these uh, uh, glorified tents to live in for six days. But they wanted to obey the word of God. And they, they were committed to details. And it was done in the seventh month. And they were just, and this is the time. It's like, oh man, there it is right there. We've never done this before. Well, there's always a first for everything. And so they, 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 they did it. They were careful about detail. Uh, then verses 16 and 17 it says, so the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booths, every one of them, upon the house roof of the, his house and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the street of the water gate and in the street of the, the gate of Ephraim. Uh, again, I got in my mind's eye going down to sections of uh, Brooklyn, or rather uh, Queens, actually, and uh, certain Jewish neighborhoods. And everybody's got they have these little small yards to begin with. I mean, these yards that are about, uh, you know, I mean, it's nothing to have, you know, this, in fact, my brother-in-law's, uh, Danny Schaefer's front yard is about as big as right, right here. This is about the whole yard. You can do it with a weed whacker, you know. And, uh, and in these little tiny yards, there's, there's their booth right there, all the way down, straight up the street, every house has got a booth. And so they, they were, they, the point is, they, they, they fulfilled, the, they, they went, they actually did this, this took work, it was a, there was a performance of it. They actually, this took labor. I mean, how many hours would this take? Several hours, or a day or two, or however long would it take to build this thing? And then you tear it down at the end of the project? But they, they, they were serious about it. In verses 17 and 18, it says, and let, let me read verse 17, in the congregation of them that were come up again out of the captivity, made booths, and sat under the booths. For since the days of Yeshua, or Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day, had none of the children of Israel done so. Now, if you study in your Bible, you'll find out that there were several times where there were in Hezekiah's day and Solomon's day and several of the king's day where they, they did observe this feast. So it looks like a contradiction, but notice what it says. The verse ends with this. It says, And there was a very great gladness 
I was reading several commentators on this, and they said that they had never done so to this degree, to this, to this exact performance, to this. I mean, they, they went right to the minute detail. They said, no, we're going to make booths in our houses, on our roofs, wherever we're going to do this, and it's right upon us right now. We're going to do it just like God said we're going to do it. And it was a great, look what happens in verse number 18. Also, day by day, from the first day until the last day, he read in the book of the law of God. Now, by the way, they read the entire Pentateuch. Don't get nervous. i got to plan out how we can do this in a day this fall here. I'll explain it uh, later on here. But uh, we don't have to. We're under grace. But we get to if we want to. And I'll explain. But they read the entire Pentateuch. And they, they, and they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day was a solemn assembly according unto the manner. Now let's make some application if we could. What did this produce, by the way? And uh, this... Uh, did I give you number four yet? There was a consistency and a gladness to worship. There was a consistency and a gladness to worship. They, 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 they performed this thing diligently. They, were, they took care of the minutest of details. They did it consistently every day. They, they were out in their tents. They read the word of God every day. And they did it with gladness. I don't want anybody, and I've said this many times, you know, uh, yeah, on purpose, I, for the last time, I, tried to, I, I just want to have a little fun with you tonight, uh, this morning. You're going to let that calling post message. I wanted to tweak you a little bit. I want to encourage you to be here. But I really don't want anybody. Do you want anybody to come over to your house that really doesn't want to come over to your house? Do you want anybody to, you know, uh, uh, I, I want you to enjoy. I want you to come and say, I don't have to come. I get to come. Uh, I want to come. This is good. I want to hear the word of God, and then I want to learn how to do it. I want to understand it. And I want to be with God's people. And I want to worship with them as they worship. And then, uh, so let's look at uh, 1, 2, 3, and for time's sake, I'm just gonna, not going to read the verses for time's sake, but if you read verses 1 to 3 of chapter 9, what did it produce? It produced, first of all, a sanctifying and a setting apart. A sanctifying and a setting apart. They... Coming apart and rest a while, Jesus said to his disciples, and uh, uh, we need to come apart from the world. There's a setting apart. And by the way, the church is a set-apart, called-out assembly. We come out from the world, and God wants us to be separated from worldly um, things and activities. I don't want to think about it, I, and I, I don't want to sound like Mr. Spirituality, but I I don't watch these. I haven't watched these in 30 years. I, I, these silly sitcoms that are on primetime television, I don't even know the names of them, to be honest with you, most of them. I, I, I mean, I could, I, I would, I, I'd never watch it. I don't watch it 30 seconds of them. They're just trash. But people are filling their mind with this stuff every night on primetime television. Uh, there's a sanctifying and setting apart. Then, then verses 4 to 6, there was a shouting of praise. And the Bible says, they, in fact, it uses the phrase a loud, with a loud voice. And they, 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 they praise together and they stand up and praise, lift up your voices to the Lord. And then actually verses 5 all the way to the end of this chapter is a recitation of the praise and of re- reciting the Israel's history. And then number 3, uh, the third thing we see in verses 7 and 8, what did this keeping this feast of tabernacles produce? It produced a strengthening. I mean, here are people that were not a people. Here are people that didn't even have city walls. It was a worthless town and, and, and defenseless town. And now they build their walls. 
And now they're, you know, they're, they're, they don't have a standing army to speak of, but they have the strength and they have the protection of God. It's amazing what happens when you put God first in your life. Now, this leads me, I look, look at one, two here. I'm just going just to read them to you for time's sake. How can I incorporate a Feast of Booths in my life? Number one, consecrate some special weeks dedicated to God's work. How about three weeks that I can think of that, and these are just three weeks that we have. There could be other weeks. How about VBS week? It's hard to come and work with the kids for three nights. Uh, the older I get, the tougher it is. But how about dedicating those Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday night to the Lord uh, next week? Just encouragement, just a challenge. How about missions week? Half week for our case, Wednesday through Sundays. How about revival week? I was talking to Pastor Rich Shavatsky yesterday for about 45 minutes, and he's coming to preach a Monday through Sunday revival in September. It's coming up here soon before we know it. And I was talking to him, we were talking preacher, as I call it, preacher talk. Revivals, and I've told you that, I mentioned something, they don't work like they used to work, but they still work. Folks still can get saved, and uh, people can still uh, get revived. And we're going to work it, and we're going we're to have a week of revival week, and we're just going to concentrate, concentrate that week to the Lord. Number two here, at the top of the page, dedicate yourself to doing something new for God now, in order to do that, by the way, if you're going to do something new for God, you've got to get some things currently in your life out. Yeah, I, I'm just going to say it and move on. I really do think that these cell phones are coming, becoming a problem in our lives. I, I do. Uh, I know you say, well, I'm pretty sure it's a tool. It can be used for good or bad. It's like a TV. It can be used for good or bad. Internet. I think there's a lot of vices let me just tell you, as a pastor, I've had many of folks confide with me, and a number of folks, I'll say it that way, confide with me about the vice, just the time alone. These kids, oh, pardon me, I'm not picking on any, these kids are addicted to this, I just feel like preaching for them, just, I mean, something, just trash. There's just this waste of time, if nothing else. These pathetic, stupid, pardon me, I'm starting to preach, I'm getting in the flesh, I better stop it. These games and it's just stuff to just time wasters, if nothing else. Enough. Get it out of your life. Get something productive in your life. Get with God's people. Get into the Word of God. Read the Bible. Don't get mad at me if you have a cell phone. I have one too. Okay. One, two, three, four here. I wanted to be done in three minutes ago, and so I'm just going to read the points. What can a feast time, or what, what a feast time can do for you? Now, you say a feast time, we're using liberality here, we're using grace, we're talking uh, uh, maybe revival week, missions week, or maybe a private one day, or Sabbath day, or not a Christian Sabbath, but I think you know what I mean, time spent with God. What can, when you have time with God, and uh, set aside time to dedicate to just dwelling in your booth, if you will. What can that do? One, two, three, four. It can cause you to remember God's deliverance or salvation out of the world. Of course, the Israelites, you know, at the crossing of the Red Sea, of course, uh, they, they instituted the, this feast shortly thereafter, and they were reminded that God brought them out of Egypt, brought them out of the world. It's a picture of salvation when we sit down. I, it's hard for me to go through a time of meditation and time of praise to the Lord without thinking about my salvation, how great it is to be delivered out of this world, saved from the wrath to come. 
Number two, it can cause you to thank God for all your material blessings in your life as you're living in your booth. The children of Israel might have said as they're in their booth at night, it's like, boy, I thank God I got a nice house to go into after this is all over with. We got a lot of things to be thankful for and a lot of things to praise God for. And by the way, they were all, this is a, the feast of, of ingathering again, remember? I guess I didn't say this yet, real quickly. This is where they brought a tenth of their produce from the, the fields and their livestock. And they were, they were sacrificing all day long, 24-7, for this whole week here. They gave their tenths to the Lord. Well, that reminds us that everything that we get is from the Lord. And it's a way of worship. And again, it's a way of reflection and thanksgiving, saying to us how good God's been to us. Number four, number three, rather, it causes us to remember that Christ dwells or tabernacles within you. John chapter one, it's believed that that was written, of course, and of course, during the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, and the word was made flesh and dwelt. That word dwelt is the same word for tabernacle and tabernacle amongst us. We build this glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. To think about it, when we meditate in Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's the difference between you and, and your unsaved counterpart. That's the difference between you and your unsaved relative. You have Christ in you. Wow. Meditate on that for a while. Lastly, it will cause you to remember this feast was always, you had, you had uh, Passover, Pentecost, the three big feasts. Passover, Pentecost, Whereas Passover, Christ died for our sins, Pentecost, and we had the, the, of course, the ascension of Christ. And then the, 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 this, this third feast here represents the second coming of Christ. It would cause you to remember his second coming is near, that Christ is coming again. But what a God that we serve. We thank God. Uh, I think uh, I'm not telling us to go back to the law. I am telling us to go back to the principles we find in this Old Testament that uh, we worship God in spirit and in truth and we worship him and apply some of these principles to our lives and it would do us so well. It would give us strength. Uh, it causes us to shout for praise and give us sanctifying. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. <clears throat> it's been good to be here for the last hour and five minutes, Lord. Thank you for each person that thought it well enough to be here and bless them. Lord, help us to be um, testimony to others, Lord. And pray, dismiss us thy blessing tonight, Lord. May it say it was good to be in the house of God, we pray. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name.